welcome to episode 8 of your Lit Professor's Mixtape. In this episode, we're going to be talking about the future of pop. Mm-hmm. How are you today, Lil El? Oh man, you're raising, rap, you're raising rap names today? <laughs> or Ellie. <laughs> oh my god. Um, I'm fine, kind of sweaty, mildly mm. hungover. <laughs> But <laughs> it's too much information. <laughs> Maybe that's too much information. Yeah, yeah. But now it's too late. They yes, know. Yeah. How okay. are you? What's up? I'm, I'm I'm in about the same boat actually. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're even. Did you have coffee today? Of course. Did, Did you, you have, have two a coffee? Cups of coffee? No, I only had one. Oh. Did okay. you have a coffee? No, I'm saving myself for iced coffee <laughs> later. Good. Uh, cold brew, please. Cold brew. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Okay. Don't worry. Good, good. Yeah. So I think we're gonna start off our discussion today talking about criticism mm-hmm. and what exactly makes a perfect critic, if that even exists. Yeah. Uh, would you like to start our discussion? I, I would, actually. I would like to talk about someone named Hume. Mm-hmm. He was a Scottish Enlightenment philosopher. From, so we're talking about sort of mid to late 1700s. Mm-hmm. Hume had these ideas of what makes the perfect critic. And I think this is a really good starting point for us because... It gives us, it, he has criteria, and we're probably not going to agree with all the criteria, but they're there. So I just want to go over Hume's theory of the ideal critic. It's from his essay, Of the Standard of Taste. Mm-hmm. Basically what Hume does is he notes the great diversity of aesthetic taste. So Hume realizes that people praise the same general aesthetic qualities, so elegance. Like, we're, we all agree that elegance is a nice thing, sure. right? yeah, yeah. But we're, we disagree on which particular artworks count as elegant. Pretty basic kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So Hume, for his puzzle, his philosophic puzzle, was that common sense seems to pull us in opposite directions. On one hand, it seems like aesthetic appreciation appreciation is a matter of sentiment, a matter of how you feel. Um, But feeling is just, it has no reference beyond itself, right? Like, like just are you either have feelings or you don't have them. So the, uh, so if beauty is in the eye of the beholder, then maybe everyone's taste is equally good. But common sense tells us that everyone's taste isn't equally good, right? right like right. if you were like, you asked a seven-year-old what music to listen to, you you probably wouldn't take their opinions seriously, right? Right. And why is that? Hume said, well, the reason is that the principles of taste are actually universal. So in ideal circumstances, the tastes of human beings would actually mostly converge. And there are four distortions that interfere with our being able to sort of accurately judge um, aesthetic qualities. So one is crude or indelicate imagination and discernment. Meaning you please explain. Yeah, <laughs> meaning you don't like get all the details from particular artwork. Okay. So you sort of just look at it as a as a sort of monolithic thing without understanding all the. The details that went into it. Of course, that is in itself problematic because maybe art is just supposed to be meant to look at as a monolithic thing. Sure. I don't know. That's what he's saying is that you can't, you don't really get all the nuances that are going on there. Second distortion is insufficient familiarity with works of a given sort. So it's like saying, it's like comparing horror with rom com. I mean, you can't just, you just can't. Right. Because right? they're very different, they have very different styles. The third distortion is prejudice which we're all guilty of. The example is saying, oh, I just don't like country music. Right. <laughs> so, if, I mean, if you just don't like country music, then you can't, you know, judge country music, obviously. You're not even willing to judge it. Good point. Um, also, if you're carrying your own cultural and personal baggage into something, 
that's not great. You sort of have to engage with the work on its own terms. And we deal with that a lot today in terms of cultural appropriation. Um, I wonder what Hume would think of that discussion. Right. I think that would be interesting. And then, the, anyways, the fourth and final distortion is an insufficient basis for making comparisons. And this is sort of what I was talking about with the seven-year-old, is that the seven-year-old just hasn't listened to as much stuff as you have, hasn't seen as many things as you have, isn't well-traveled, well-read. So if you, have, if you don't have um, sort of that base to compare things with, like how can you, how can you really judge things? Mm-hmm. So that was his final distortion. That's actually my favorite distortion. I think that's the most appropriate one. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. that's Hume. Those are his four, his four distortions. Gotcha. What do you think? I don't know. I mean, this has kind of led me to think about how I personally critique art and how I feel about it. And I feel like I'm just an awful critic because I'm never willing to trash someone's work. Okay. Like, I'm never willing to say, like, oh, you know, I, I don't like this. I always kind of try and find some redeeming quality because mm-hmm. I feel like if you have put the time and effort and heart into making something it's not fair for me to just say oh well I, I don't like this this is shit I don't like yeah. I, I don't feel like it's right for me to trash something if someone has actually put effort into it right this I mean we talk about music all the time I think it's especially appropriate um for music I, I just feel like if you put something out into the universe that hasn't existed before it's worthy of some kind of accolade or some kind of recognition mm-hmm. you know you've added to like our human discography so I don't I don't know is that does that I under I, I think I understand where you're coming from yeah but I, I also have noticed sort of in recent days like a move away from valuing criticism with things like Rotten Tomatoes where it's just all kinds of people voting and we don't really care what critics say anymore we just care about what our friends say and it's like why would I listen to the New York Times or the New Yorker on a movie when I like I don't they they're too highbrow for me they don't represent me I think there's definitely been a push against criticism Mm -hmm. because it's interpreted as a very highbrow art form not representative of what most people like but I don't I don't know if that's the right thing to do interesting like I think criticism can actually make us question the artwork that we're looking at in a in a deeper sense because if you have the right critic you have someone who ideally has a very good basis for making comparisons I mean that's their job is to look at art all day long or to watch movies all day long and so I think we should listen to what they're saying I mean yeah I, I, I sort of like criticism as as an art form but I also understand that critics can be very highbrow and can sort of turn their noses up at art that we might be like, this is actually valuable. Like something like Banksy, for example. Mm-hmm. I think Hume would say, well, that, that has no value to us because another quality of Hume's that he thought was important is passing the test of time. And I mean, Banksy's work, that's, it's inherent in its nature that it's not supposed to pass the test of time. It's supposed to be timely. It's supposed to be about right now. Right. So in that sense, it's sort of like, well, there is value, of course, in works that um, highbrow critics might not appreciate. And how do we, how do we, you know, bridge that gap, I guess? Right. You know, I think in today's society, we're kind of moving away from the idea of the guilty pleasure. Like, Mm. people don't say, like, oh, The Bachelorette is my guilty pleasure anymore, because I feel like it's just so normalized nowadays. Like, everyone watches The Bachelorette. 
everyone listens to, I don't know, Taylor Swift. Yeah. You know, nothing is, there's kind of that weird distortion between what's highbrow and lowbrow anymore. I mean, those things have cultural capital now, right? Yeah. And we, we're not talking about cultural capital in this episode, but that's mm-hmm. Bordeaux, right? Is That's his idea. I think that's how you pronounce Bordeaux. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, basically, ideas that what you consume culturally is sort of like having a currency and that you can now talk about it with other people. Yes, yes. And we, yeah, we very much live in a world where you could go to MoMA and you could be, um, I don't know, appreciating, like watching a performance of Marina Abramovich and like right after that you could be talking about The Bachelorette. Right. And those things are equally valuable. Interesting. Right? Well, no, I yeah, and I kind of, I agree with that because yeah. nowadays everyone's keeping up with the Kardashians. Right. If you don't know, you yeah. know, who split up with who, who are you? And I, I feel like those things aren't considered as um, lowbrow as they have been before. Yeah. And I think that since it's just so common to, you know, watch these shows, listen to music like that, we're moving away from critiquing those things in this highbrow manner. I think so. It's weird. It's It's like the distinction between highbrow and lowbrow no longer exists. Art is sort of on a level playing field or or culture is sort of on a level playing field. Yeah. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I don't know if it's good to, to equate, like, Kim Kardashian with, like, I don't know, Marina Jeff Abramovich. Koons or Marina Abramovich. <laughs> but... But, I mean, it's all... This is, this is kind of cycling back to what I was saying. Like, it's all art in its own way, right? And so... Someone, keeping up with the Kardashians' art? Yeah, I mean, someone has put their time, their effort, their heart into it. And so they've kind of they've added something to our world that wasn't there before right so i feel like that like i was saying before that in itself is worthy of some kind of recognition mm-hmm. right you're you've created something that didn't exist before congratulations you've added to humanity in some kind of way right whether i mean like i guess the question is is that does it matter if it's in a positive or a negative way or a neutral way like does it does it matter I mean, who knows? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, that's a question. It's, it's interesting yeah. to consider. Yeah. And, like, I'm sure, I'm sure every single piece of art out there has affected someone in a positive way. I hope so. Yeah. So, who, you know, if, like, one life is changed by keeping up with the Kardashians... Yeah. It, it's worth... It's valuable. Right. Right? But what if that life is changed in a negative way? Well, okay, if one life is changed in a positive way for yeah. a piece of art... I mean, then again, who knows what's neg- positive and negative? Yeah. What kind of change is positive or negative? Yeah. So it, it's all, it's really messy. It is. This, I mean, this discussion, I think we're going to have to, <laughs> we'll have to draw the line somewhere because, yeah. I mean, this, this is such a difficult discussion. The value of art is sort of a separate topic. Yeah. Something that I think we should dive into a bit yeah. later. But criticism, I mean, I guess our main point is that highbrow, lowbrow, no, blurry now. Blurry lines. For sure. For blurred sure. lines. Oh, God. That's, that's, <laughs> that's another episode, yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, there are, you know, academic papers on things like The Bachelorette, right? You can yeah. read highbrow writing on something that's almost lowbrow. Right. So, again, again, again it's, it's a blurring of the lines. Totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could write academic papers on, like, Taylor Swift, for sure. You totally could. Yeah. Oh, 100%. <laughs> not that she's necessarily lowbrow, but she's very... No, but she's not highbrow, per se. Yeah. It's not like Father John Misty... Is that the one, the one person you think of when you think of highbrow? Yeah, because, like, all of his titles, like, all the titles in those songs are so long, and I'm just like, ugh. My gosh. But anyways. Well, Fall Out Boy did it first, but whatever. (laughs) Okay, sure, Fall Out Boy, too. Okay. So maybe we should cap the discussion on criticism for now. That was supposed to sort of lead into our talking about the future of pop. Yes. How, yeah. 
how would critics respond to the future of pop innovation i guess right i think that might some critics might respond positively to innovation and some would not mm-hmm. hume says to be a successful artist you should just imitate the artists that came before you that's what he says it's what britney did worked for them and it, yeah with madonna right mm-hmm. um but i wonder if that is the future of pop and i think we're, well we're gonna be talking about innovators that's right. what this episode is about yes yes um i know you have something to say but i'd like to start us off with a quote sure from madonna <gasps> very timely in a recent vogue italia interview madonna was quoted as commenting on the current state of music and saying everything's so formulaic and every song has 20 guest artists on it and everyone sounds the same something's gotta give Damn. I know. I was like... Sounding salty in her Madonna. Yeah. Yeah. This doesn't look good on you, but... uh, (laughs) So let's let's help Madonna. Let's help her out. Okay. (laughs) So, wait, are we playing to Madonna's side? I don't... No, I mean... Yeah, we both don't. I don't think we are. I I don't think Madonna's listening to the right stuff. Obviously not. Yeah. She's probably just listening to, what, like, True Blue on repeat? Like, one of her own albums? Yeah, she's probably listening (laughs) to herself. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I would do. Why does it sound the same, guys? (laughs) You, Madonna. It's you. That's why. Oh, my gosh. Or she's listening to, like, her and Britney, and she's like, oh, what? Yeah. (laughs) Is everything sounding the same, though? The the Immaculate Collection. That's what she's listening to. That's, like, her greatest hits. Oh, my gosh. Of course. God? (laughs) Are you there? (laughs) It's me, Madonna. Madonna. (laughs) Oh, man. So we were going to we're going to talk about, I guess where pop is going and what it could be. That's the first big discussion yeah. you're having. I have an example of where I think or who I think is bringing the future of pop into the present. Give it to me. It's Brockhampton. Okay, that was a Madonna reference. I don't think you got it. No, I did not get it. Give it to me with the number two. Give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Sorry, Brockhampton. <laughs> Brockhampton. Let me talk about Brockhampton. Brockhampton. So for y'all who don't know. Um, Brockhampton is a self-proclaimed boy band. They currently have 14 members. Um, they formed in 2015 in the comment section of a Kanye West forum online. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. So like a bunch of a bunch of guys had been commenting on whatever Kanye West music and they kind of started, "Hey, let's start a band." And that's how they originally got together. Oh, wow. So, you know, say like, oh, I can play piano, oh, I can play guitar, oh, I can rap, I can, you know, whatever. And so they've put out a mixtape and three albums within the past three years that they've been together, or less than three years even. And I think, like, even ten years ago, we couldn't have said like, oh, this band met in a Kanye West forum. You know, like, right. this is such a weird innovation that they all met each other through social media, essentially. And are now huge, you know, selling how many records are not selling records. I don't know if they sell physical records. Right. Or if they're I mean, they're, probably, they're making money somehow. They're making money somehow. Yeah, they are. You know, touring with 14 members. I That's just, crazy. It's crazy. Even right? to have a band that big, I think, is yeah. innovative. Yeah. So even Kanye West wasn't a thing before, like, 2004. So technically, a band like this wasn't even possible like 14 years ago right right so i think that in itself is very current very innovative totally so just brockhampton as a concept and i'm sure i'm sure that this is where the future is going Absolutely, that we're gonna yeah. be you know more bands down the line who have formed in this way right i mean it, it, so i think this this sort of even started with shows like 
American Idol or like uh, the X Factor even. Oh yeah. In a weird way. Yeah. And that sort of fabrication of that's maybe a little different in that the, those are very fabricated shows and you work your way through. This seems more natural in that they just sort of serendipitous a serendipitous meeting of people from all over the world coming yeah. together to form a band. It wasn't Simon Cowell being like, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you, <laughs> you five and you look good together. together. You all sound good. <laughs> so now you are One Direction. Another thing I want to talk about um, was K-pop. Yeah. Which I think is very innovative as well, especially since it's kind of moving into North America. Mm-hmm. I think it's interesting that it manages to unite people everywhere, despite there being a language barrier. Yes. Right. And these, I was doing some research on these groups. They're wickedly talented. Like, they're groomed from a very young age to become these kinds of performers. And some of them are still really young. Mm-hmm. Like, they're, you know, 16, 17-year-old members of these bands. We're talking about, like, girl groups and boy bands and stuff like that. The most popular being, like, BTS, which have been to a bunch of our American award shows. Mm-hmm. I think have collaborated with a lot of American artists. Um, EXO, which was huge. I don't know if you... <laughs> I did we're not, following nope, that. No, oh my gosh. People on Twitter, oh my god, we're obsessed. XO. <laughs> With XO, okay. yeah. Um, oh gosh, like for girl groups, you've got like Wonder Girls, um, Pink Black, Red Velvet. It's just wild. Yeah. And they're all so um, just perfect. Like their images are so well honed, their public images. They all, I think they all have to stay single. Like hmm. they have to be available for fans to kind of project their fantasies on right they have to have like that very pure very Mm. idyllic image of themselves and their fan bases are mildly insane i stumbled across like an online um not a forum but a website it was called k profiles where they list like every single known fact about every single member of like every single k-pop band in existence (laughs) down to their blood type how what? How yes. Does that, that can't be real. How do they know it that? It is. It is. And I have no idea. <laughs> oh my god. I know. I mean, I there's nothing wrong with people knowing your blood type, but it just seems like such a weird, intimate yeah. thing to have on the internet for millions of people to see. I mean, it's a real, it's a real person we're talking about. Yeah. Like, it's not some sort of hologram or like, it, it, yeah. Yeah. I feel like this is problematic. Yes. A, a little bit. Like, the future of pop maybe has some complications involved with it. Yeah. That access to information is a little over the top maybe yeah for sure there are two people in this world that have to know my blood type me yeah and like an er doctor giving me a blood transfusion if god forbid i ever need it that's right two people that's (laughs) That's it that is it so i i don't know something like that just feels so uh like an invasion of privacy it does It, it it sort of feels to me as if the pop star has been transformed even more so into a commodity than they were before. Oh, for sure. Like, I remember when I, w- when I was really into Lady Gaga, I would check, like, gagadaily.com every day. Oh, <laughs> of course. <laughs> to find out all the stuff. But yeah. we didn't have access to that level of information. Yeah. Like. It's crazy. You forget that they're an actual... Even the fact they have to be single. Like, come yeah, on. Real yeah. person. Especially the girl groups mm. because of sexism. Right. <laughs> Love it. Sexism. Yeah, yeah. Great. And these, like, they're immensely talented. Every single member of, like, every single group is just I- immaculate. Right. They, you know, sing in different languages. Like, some of them sing in, like, Japanese, Mandarin, Korean, and English. Wow. The four. And I, I just, that's wild. These are young, young people, mm-hmm. all in, like, their early 20s or late teens, 
and they've just been so finely tuned to fit the specific image and i mean now they're living large right they're celebrities mm-hmm. around the world but at what cost to their own personal well-being yeah like there's um the lead singer of shiny uh committed suicide last year is that a k-pop band yes okay yeah wow. and people were saying it's just the pressure right. you know obviously you know he was depressed and had mm-hmm. mental illness involved but people were saying a lot of it was the fact that he was so tightly confined to his right. image and he had to do everything that was asked of him like yeah i can't imagine the pressure that yeah one, that's so i think it's kind of hmm. like one direction but as far as i know a lot more intense <laughs> sounds like it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but they're popular and yeah you know nowadays we can even translate things so easily right that we can listen to k-pop and we can translate lyrics and know what they're saying what they're talking about we can even you know have access online to someone else who can translate it on right. twitter being like oh what does this mean and someone will be like oh it means this thank you you know, like, it's so easy to have exchanges like that nowadays, totally. too, right? So I think um, this is the future of pop. It's multilingual. I uh, 100% agree. I mm-hmm. think that's probably a good starting place for us as as an indicator of the future of pop is that it definitely, like, transcends language barriers. For sure. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Not only are we able to translate songs more easily, but for some reason it seems like we are more willing to listen to songs in other languages and not understand them. Yeah. Um, which I think is very interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like Gaga led the way with this with Shiza. Oh, <laughs> where she was singing fake German? She was singing fake German. But, like, think about that. Is that yeah. not the future of pop? There, it's not even making any sense. She's not making any sense, and yet we're listening to this song, and we're like, this is a great song. It's true. That brings up so many questions. It sort of questions the, like, the value of lyrics. Yeah. It just... Anyways. Yeah. I want to I wanna talk about that as, as well in relation to Charlie XCX. Go for it. Who I think is very much a, like one of the trailblazers for the future of pop. Mm-hmm. On her latest album, Pop 2, uh, she, ha- she has... So the album has 10 tracks. Eight of the tracks have features on them, which is a lot. Uh, and the features are for artists like from all over the world. You get Estonian rapper Tommy Cash. Love it. You get Brazilian drag queen Pablo Vitar. Uh, and then you get someone like even Carly Rae Jepsen. So we're just, we have such a broad range of collaborations going on mm-hmm. that I don't think really would have been pop, like possible before it without this, the globalization that we've achieved in like, the modern, the modern day. It's so true. So that, there's that, there's the language thing. Mm-hmm. But something else I also think is a feature of the future of pop is that the artist becomes less less the like solo singer on the album and more so the visionary of the album interesting so i want to talk about that with like charlie and kanye Mm. so charlie on pop 2 i said there's 10 tracks eight of the tracks have features sometimes you don't even know who's singing is it charlie is it someone else is like it's been heavily edited and in this way i sort of see someone like charlie as the maestro or the conductor of the album rather than being in the band. Um, she selects such a unique range of artists to be featured. I said, like, Pablo Vitar, who's like a right. Brazilian drag queen. Um, and this doesn't really detract from her artistic abilities, like Charlie's. It rather sets her up as the visionary. And Pitchfork agreed with me. They of said, course. Uh, <laughs> they called this album a vision of what pop music could be. Ah. Yeah. And I think Kanye did something sort of similar on The Life of Pablo in that 
There's 19 songs on the album. 13 of the songs include features. And there are even songs like Low Lights that are completely Kanye free. Before you'd be like, why would I buy a Kanye West album if Kanye isn't even going to be singing on the album or mm -hmm. rapping? But now we're sort of like, okay, the artist is more the visionary, the conductor than anything else. And I think that's sort of what the future of pop could be. Right. Interesting. Yeah. I even I was listening to an interview with him where he was saying he didn't want to include Nicki Minaj's verse on Monster okay. on the song just because he knew she would out, outshine him and mm. Jay-Z, which, I mean, thank she you, did. Kanye, yeah. for giving us that <laughs> gift to humanity, which is Nicki Minaj's yeah. verse. Thank you for allowing that on your song. But, like, I, I agree with that, that he is acting as, like, almost a conductor, the mm -hmm. visionary, right? He's bringing people together to collaborate, right? Yeah. And he's giving us, like, gifts, as in Nicki Minaj's monster verse. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, sort of the curator, almost, Yeah, right? even, even knowing that she's going to outshine him on that song, and yeah. even on that record, you know, he allowed that to happen yeah. for our sake. Thank you. I think, and I think that's so interesting. So when Madonna goes and says, like, there's so many features on albums now, I get what she's saying, and features don't always work. Sometimes it's like, well, why don't, why aren't you just singing? Mm -hmm. But in another sense, they can come across as the artist has curated this album for us. More a mixtape, maybe, than anything is a better term. Yeah. But still, I think there's, I think there's value to be found in that. Yeah. If we interpret it through that sort of lens. Yeah, agreed. Well, if you'll let me, I'm going to start... Well I, well, I will also answer the question, who is defining the future of pop and how? Yes, let's do it. With a rant, kind of rant, whatever, <laughs> whatever a rant is where you're speaking for a long amount of time, but you're not angry. Monologue? No. A monologue, yeah. <laughs> it's a, sol a soliloquy. A soliloquy, there we go. Um, about my girl, Hailey Kiyoko, oh, who I think is a visionary. All right, for those of you who don't know... She is a young biracial lesbian. She started off as, I believe, a dancer, then moved into acting, and she got tangled up with the Disney Channel for right. a matter she, of time. Was it Lemonade Mouth? Is that I thing? think so. Whatever okay. it is, I haven't seen it, but it's fine. <laughs> okay. We don't <laughs> need to. That's in the past. It yeah. doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> and now she's finally moved on to singing and songwriting. And I will preface this that I saw her in June of 2018 was blown away. It was wonderful. No girl left that venue straight <laughs> after watching Hailey Kyoko. It was impossible to do that. Okay. Our, all heterosexuality was thrown out the window. That's why she's lesbian Jesus, <laughs> That's right? why she's... Yes, yeah. yes. I'm going to talk about that. Oh, sorry. That's okay. Um, so what I think is so important and different about her is that she's very open with who she is as a queer woman. Um, like, at the concert, part of her merch were these giant pride flags that said hashtag 2018. <laughs> And I Excellent. I don't know if she coined the phrase, but she's definitely popularized it. Mm. 20 gay teen, ha ha ha. Right? So, in the past, we've gotten female singers who identify as queer to some extent, but never feel like putting a label on their sexuality. There is a lot of discussion within the LGBTQ community as far as labeling sexuality. Some believe that people can kind of identify as they want and not have to specify or choose a certain label. But others think it's important to have representation of different identities, right? So rather than saying like, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of queer. I don't know. I feel this way about men and this way about women. If you say like, oh, I'm bisexual, it means that we have bisexual representation, right? Mm -hmm. Or lesbian representation. So, for example, there's a difference between someone like St. Vincent, who is queer and who we've talked about, 
and she's been in like these high profile relationships with women like Cara Delevingne and Kristen Stewart there's a difference between her and someone like Hailey Kiyoko um St. Vincent once told Rolling Stone uh, I believe in gender fluidity and sexual fluidity I don't really identify as anything so there's a contrast between her and Hailey Kiyoko who's so open and engaged in the LGBTQ community to the point where her fans have started calling her lesbian Jesus right, right? that's a term that's been coined for mm-hmm. her and so it's obvious that like queer girls look up to her as a role model and they like having someone who self-identifies as a lesbian like who has a label um so I think yeah so she is a great role model for the community and I think it's because she's been so outspoken on her identity and on being a lesbian basically yeah so it's great it's powerful I I think (laughs) I, I absolutely agree yeah I don't know where exactly I stand on that whole issue like about labeling sexuality mm-hmm. i personally am someone who enjoys labels as a way to categorize things and make sense of the world mm-hmm. you know that's why i love me horoscopes because i like <laughs> i like well, we to, know girl yeah i know i like to be like oh you're a sagittarius great i know these standard qualities about you you know i like i kind of like having that but i completely understand people who don't want to put a label on that on their sexuality mm-hmm. but i think in some you know i like that we have like lesbian representation yeah and in certain cases we have bisexual representation like i think in a lot of cases putting a label on things can help people totally yeah yeah i just to interject i also think especially in pop music where what we've had for the majority of time is straight and often white people um representing pop music that's what you hear on the radio and if you want to get someone who's not straight like to listen to that kind of music you'd have to go underground in a in a sense right mm-hmm. so it's super powerful to hear that on the radio like as pop music yes. more so than anything and that's how she's an innovator yes right? for sure no she's actually well she's one of the first female artists i can think of who has used female pronouns in her song right, right. Sing about a female love interest and she's actually been told by people that like they wouldn't be able to play her music on the radio because of it or she would get backlash for using female pro- pronouns mm. right so as a lesbian her existence is political right people are trying to i guess censor her in that respect mm-hmm. right so she has definitely gotten a backlash for that so um she's very very open about her attraction to women like one of her most popular songs is called girls like girls <laughs> right um she also plays on other like in her music she plays on other aspects of being a queer woman like the struggles of being in the closet like having these forbidden crushes on girls and i can imagine this is something like so special to other girls who experience this right so again her music becomes subversive because of her identity she's not singing about wanting to be desired by men she's singing about wanting to be desired by other women yeah right I don't know, like, even, sorry, this is such a lot. No, this is great. <laughs> even, like, the cover of her album, Expectations, is her fully clothed, gazing at a naked woman. Mm-hmm. That is the female gaze. We don't yeah. get that. We don't get to see that. When when have you, yeah, ever seen that on, an, on a pop album cover? Yes, yeah. exactly. So, to end off, that's why I believe that Hailey Kyogo is one of the innovators of the future of pop. Um, and I hope and I believe that pop is going to become increasingly more diverse and it's going to become queer, queer. Like, even now we're lucky to have people like Frank Ocean mm-hmm. and Kevin Abstract from Brockhampton, mm-hmm. uh, two black gay men who sing about their attraction to other men, especially Kevin Abstract, who's like really 
really out there and comfortable with his identity right like if mm-hmm. you follow him on social media like all he talks about is his boyfriend and it's really cute <laughs> oh. um and yeah so i'm excited to see other queer artists popping up people like choice of bond yeah um king princess perfume genius kim petras yeah stuff like that so that is what i'm excited for that is a positive trend that we're seeing in pop right that, now and that is the future of pop that i feel is. very strong like, yeah. about that as well um I also want to throw in someone like Sophie into that mix, who I think is interesting in that she's not only a singer-songwriter, but also a producer, and that makes me think, okay, well first I just want to say Sophie is known for her song Pony Boy, probably her most popular song, um, and she produced like Charlie X, yeah, she's produced Madonna, rumored to be working with Lady Gaga Ooh. on her new album, so let's hope that's true. Yeah. Um, Sophie is transgender. And if you watch the music video for her most recent song, It's Okay to Cry, it's a really powerful sort of image and statement on self-acceptance, especially because we see Sophie singing close up and we see her chest, um, which is sort of a reminder of her personal narrative as a trans woman. And just, I want to add, because she's a producer, I wonder, my question, and I think another thing about the future of pop is that certain sounds, certain the way music sounds has to be innovated to sort of be able to encompass new themes. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I have an example, and something like Mouse, which is uh, M-A-U-S, yep. graphic novel on the Holocaust. The Holocaust is obviously a very difficult topic to talk about in any kind of art, mm-hmm. but for some reason it was more suited to the graphic novel as a genre, I guess because of the simultaneous representation of time and that confusion that results from that and that that it's less coherent and so it's easier to portray a very incoherent event like the holocaust anyways that's a very negative that's a dark um (laughs) example but i think we have to change the way music sounds to be able to encompass new themes and i think sophie is someone who is doing that for us changing the way music sounds so that we can bring in additional representation and just like new topics mm-hmm. it's it's yeah. great to have someone like a trans person like sophie behind the scenes exactly producing things yeah yeah like we don't we need them at the forefront someone like yeah. Haley kyoko kyoko we need someone like that as as a face of the future of pop music but we also need them behind and we don't talk a lot about behind the scenes because i guess we don't know about that as as much but mm-hmm. it's a huge aspect of production and how a final song sounds so sure. yeah you know I think that's all I have oh okay I have a f- do you have more I have I have a finishing segment oh well then then that perfect. I'd like to talk do about. finish it off um I want to finish by talking about SoundCloud rappers oh no oh yes <laughs> true so this is just a brief uh, this is a disclaimer okay I'm not trying to invalidate the art of SoundCloud rappers it's not my genre, which may be why I'm very out of touch with things regarding them. Of course, I'm not here to judge the music. They're out there making millions of dollars and producing music people care about. And I'm here, sitting here as a broke college student. <laughs> Me too. Uh, recording a podcast. <laughs> so I am not hating. I'm definitely not <laughs> hating, okay? Trust Got me. It. It's, it's, it's no hate. There. Yeah. So I would like to play a, a game with you. Oh my god! Yes. Oh, I love to play games. Okay. <laughs> I know you do. Um, so I'm going to give you a list of SoundCloud rappers. Okay. And you have to tell me the names that you've heard before. 
Oh, no. Yeah. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah. I think I've got nine of them. Okay. Young bands. Young Benz? Bands. B-A-N-S. No. <laughs> <laughs> Famous decks. With a Z? No, decks. D-E-X? D-E-X, like Dexter. No! <laughs> <laughs> this is a good name already. Ski Mask the Slump God. Yes, have heard of him. Okay, yeah, that's the one I heard it too. Um, Lil Baby. Lil Baby! Lil Baby! Nope. Nope. Um, Smoke Perp. <laughs> no. No? Smoke <laughs> Perp? Is that one perp. word? Yeah, it is. And then Perp has two P's at the end. Of course it does. Yeah. Um, Rich the Kid. It sounds familiar, actually, but, familiar. but definitely have not listened. Juice World. No! What? <laughs> but World, Juice, oh, world no, is what's, spelled W-R-L-D. Oh, of course it is. What? <laughs> Juice World. Have any of those had numbers, by the way, so far? Uh, no. Oh, no numbers. Okay. No. Um, Lil Xan. Oh, like yes, Xanax. unfortunately. Yeah, okay. Isn't he dating? He's dating Noah Cyrus. Right, okay. Yeah. Uh, Gunna. Ugh. G-U-N-N-A. Ugh. No! <laughs> this is the last one. Lil Skies. Oh, that one's nice. It's kind of nice, right? <laughs> no. So, we're going to take Lil Skies as an example. Okay. I had never heard of him before. Never. Um, I clicked on the first music video of his. Well, you know, I just searched him on YouTube. Wait, can I predict something? Yeah. Does he have face tattoos? Yes. <gasps> I believe they all have face tattoos. <laughs> and, like, at least half of them are from South Florida, which is very weird. Oh. Where my Florida's grandma lives. Florida's a weird lives. place. Yeah. Florida's a weird place. Hello, Nona. Florida is just my grandma and SoundCloud rappers. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I know. It's really weird. Anyway, so I'd never heard of Lil Skies before. I went, clicked on one of his music videos, and it had only been out over, like, the course of 10 months. Like, he released it about 10 months ago. Um, 109 million views what? on this music video. Whoa. Okay. Yeah, I know. Um, to put that into perspective, uh, a song like Dog Days by Florence uh, and the Machine, true. it's a song that's been in movies, commercials, it's been playing on the radio for how long? It was released in 2010? 2010? Mm -hmm. It has 102 million views. Okay, um... Explain. I can't explain. I can't explain. That's wild to me. It's wild. He has seven million more views on this music video that's been out for under a year. And meanwhile, this classic song, yeah. or what we some well, call classics, yeah. Dog Days, yeah. has less views. You know what's even what's even more wild to me than the discrepancy in the numbers is the fact that we had never heard of him before. Yes. That's even I feel like it's like what world do I live in? And what world do like like other people live in where they know all these artists and they're like listening to it. like I, I I'm know. wondering I know and Even, why haven't I heard of them I know yeah <laughs> my my little brother uh, gave me a list of these or this list oh thanks talk about yeah he's seventeen <laughs> he really likes SoundCloud rap for whatever reason it's him um, and he was surprised at that too when I told him that Florence had less views than oh, really? those guys yeah he was like oh wow but that song has been around forever you know mm -hmm. I love, everyone likes that song right <laughs> so even he was surprised okay. someone who was very involved in the world of SoundCloud rap all right so yeah no my questions are just like where are they coming from they <laughs> make seem them to, stop they <laughs> seem to all have been made in the same factory yeah, they do or they just like popped out of the womb with face tattoos they're like, also young they right and they're all so young yeah. so young i was looking them up some of them are born in like 2001 oh my god 
Dude, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. They're younger than us. Yeah. And they're out here making millions of dollars, getting millions of views on music videos. That's wild. I can't believe it. Um, and then there are people like 6 9 who mm. was a SoundCloud rapper. Mm-hmm. He was already, like, done and canceled for being a pedophile before I even knew who he was. <laughs> so his career, like, launched and right. ended before I was even aware that he had a career. Yeah. That's... Oh. Well, I mean, not necessarily ended, unless well, people are still giving him collabs. Yeah, it perhaps should be ended. But, perhaps uh, should be, yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's another episode. It's just wild. And my question is, are we already out of touch? Uh-oh. Are we already out of touch? <laughs> are we already old ladies? That's that's scary to me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I know. What a t- that's a tough question. I want to say no, but, like, at the same time, I had never... I hadn't heard of, like, really any of those rappers that you just listed. Yeah. But, like, if if Lil Skies is getting 109 million views on a music video, who's watching that? Who's listening to that? Yeah. I've never met someone who's, like, other than my brother, who's yeah. like, oh, yeah, I love Lil Skies. He's great. He's my favorite artist. I watch his music videos, you know? Yeah. I have no idea who's listening to them, but that that connects to our topic in that, like, is, is that the future of music? Is that mm-hmm. somehow going to, like, rise and rise and rise and then, like, overtake everything else maybe as music well i think i mean i think rap is like one of the most or the most popular genre nowadays yeah rap rap for sure I, like to clarify i sort of have been including rap as pop music right we right, right. on the radio and yeah and whatever but uh yeah that yeah wow okay it's kind of freaky it kind of puts things into perspective <laughs> it does <laughs> I, don't, I, I am speechless i'm speechless too it was yeah. really really interesting to figure that out to do that research yeah. So, hmm. I don't know what we can do to keep up with things. To keep up with the future, yeah. To keep up with the future. The, sort of a difficult a difficulty that we have with the future of pop is that it is so dependent on other people. Mm-hmm. What we hear on the radio, we don't realize, is, is chosen for us by other people. And so, we're getting... We think we're making a decision. Like, you, you choose what radio station you listen to, or you plug your phone into your... Um, into your car, Bluetooth, whatever. Mm-hmm. But to a large extent, we're unaware, I guess, of like SoundCloud rappers or like the choices that are being made for us to listen to things. And I think that is a major like inhibiting factor in understanding what the future of pop could sound like. Right. Well, I, it's interesting too because I think that these guys or these rappers are so explicit that they can't be played on the radio. Okay. So. It just adds to the to the question of like who is listening to them. Right, they're not getting radio play. I mean, you. I, I want to say it's like some underground kind of thing, but mm-hmm. but with those kind of numbers, I don't think you can even call it underground. Right. It's just. It's not. It's like <laughs> hundred hundred million people. Over hundred million people have listened yeah. to it. Yeah, that's just one of his music videos. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wow. One rapper, one music video. Yeah. There's you know how many other hundreds out there. Yeah. So, wow. It just, it's odd. It puts things into perspective. And maybe I am a little, an old lady at this point. I, oh, we're so, we're only 21. I Let's know, stop. I don't Let's want to think it. about that. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> well, Nicki Minaj uh, just released her new album, Queen. And it's already kind of a mess because she's been on Twitter saying like, oh, you know, there's something I want to tweak in this song or I have to change the title of this song. Yeah. Oh, this is too low. I want to pitch it up. Like she's re- just released an album and she's already criticizing 
things that she could have done differently or yeah I think that's so weird and that's definitely a characteristic of making music in this age and probably the future of pop is that because we're not buying physical copies anymore if an artist decides they're not happy with the song they can actually change it on our phones yeah and we can't control that really right right like Kanye did that with uh, Life of Pablo right? <laughs> he just tweeted out I'm a fix wolves yeah and then he did and he did yeah thank you it's like okay <laughs> thanks I guess yeah yeah that but that's, it's also it's, it's also odd to me that an artist would release an album feeling like you're going to change things like I understand the, yeah. I, the, the, the feeling that you're not satisfied with your art that's I think normal people probably feel like you're never satisfied but then to go and change it is like I don't it's know if that's weird. a good thing or a bad thing it's odd it just kind of throws me through a loop like I feel like as an artist I wouldn't want to release something until it's perfect mm-hmm. or until I think it's as perfect as it's gonna get so I I don't I don't know like she even like like her, she has a song called Ganja Burns and she's like, oh, that was a typo. It's supposed to be ganja burn without the S at the end. I'm like, literally, the title, you made a typo in the title of, like, the first song on yeah. your new album? I don't know. That even seems mildly... Messy. Wanna, yeah. Like, like I don't unprofessional, wanna, I want to say. Yeah. So, I, I, I don't know. But going along with uh, streaming, now that, you know, everyone's streaming and downloading things nowadays, yeah. um, there's artists emerging like Chance the Rapper. Well, he's been he's been in the game for some time, right. for a few years at this point. But um, the only streaming-only artist to ever be nominated for and win a Grammy. Nice. Yeah. So that's definitely a future. He doesn't have a record label to tie him down mm. to tell him what to do. That's cool. Yeah, he's free. He can do whatever the hell he wants. And he's, I mean, collaborated with, like, the best of the best already. People like Kanye... Um, like Lil Wayne, people yeah. who have their own empires. So he's highly respected for sure. Oh, for sure, for sure. And he just seems like a good person. He, he really does. He's a philanthropist. Yeah. You yeah. know, he's giving tons of money to like Chicago public schools and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I, I like that he gets to do things on his own terms. Mm-hmm. You know, I just I admire him quite. I, a bit. I think that's interesting. If if an artist isn't like constricted by their label, like what we're talking about with K-pop, I mean, mm-hmm. there's sort of value in that I guess as an art form but also there's value in the complete opposite and like what happens when someone doesn't have to report to anyone else yeah we get people a chance yeah yeah that's interesting the future of pop is on both ends of the spectrum Ooh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> it defies it's like highbrow lowbrow there is sort of there's no longer that distinction between things we're getting everything interesting I like that I like that too yeah that that is a positive spin on things. It's optimistic, I feel. I think it is. I think it's. it feels like we're breaking down barriers. Excellent. God bless. Yeah. <laughs> All right, maybe, like, to conclude, mm-hmm. can you tell me the top three artists that you think are paving the way for the future of pop? Oh, man. Well, I'm going to say Hailey Kiyoko. Yeah. I'm going to say my girl. She's going to yeah. be up there. She's yeah. going to be number one. Oh, duh. <laughs> <laughs> Who else do I think? Solange. Okay. Solange is, I think, another one. Hmm. Um, gosh. And maybe Brockhampton. Yeah. The three. Awesome. Because I think, you know what, Brockhampton, I, I mean, there's no no sign of them slowing down. Mm-hmm. They've already released so much music, and I'm like, why do we keep going? Maybe Gambino, Childish Gambino, can be on that list too. Okay. Why? Why would you put him on? Well... He popularized something like Redbone, which mm-hmm. is not really his genre. Like, I feel like it was a step out of the box for him. And I, I don't know. Like, it feels like such a throwback song. Like, it feels like a song that we've known forever. Yeah. But it's 
recent. I don't know. No, I would I would actually throw in something with Childish Gambino, the like politicization of music. Yeah, this is America. Yeah. Well, to be fair, I know that's not done. a new thing. Yeah. yeah. But maybe it's coming back. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like we went through like the Obama era where it was like mm-hmm. political music is not as necessary anymore. Mm. But now there are so many. We have so many issues from, you know, police violence, police brutality mm-hmm. to. Gun to, violence. Yeah, mo- mostly guns. Let's let's face it. But yeah. also healthcare and mm-hmm. also xenophobia and mm-hmm. hate and all things that Kendrick Lamar talks about on Dan. Right. So he, I'm, you know, I'm a big Kendrick Lamar fan, yeah. and I'm so excited to see what he has in store. Like I know that he has so much more to give to right. us, and that he's just gonna keep growing and mm-hmm. expanding. And so it actually, I'm I'm very excited to see where he goes and where his career goes i mean he's already at the top of his game yeah i don't think anyone can truly do what he does but i'm just excited to keep seeing where he's going and to follow yeah. him and to hopefully one day see him live kendrick come back <laughs> <laughs> no that top dog tour was come expensive to yeah. I wanna see oh him. yeah and his solo tour yeah okay answer your own question who's your top three okay well i would say definitely charlie mm-hmm. as i talked about before as a visionary curator, very prolific, young, all those things sounds different. Sure. I'd also say someone like Christine and the Queens oh. from France. They, as a group, and also just sort of they, so they bend the the boundaries between solo singer, solo artist, and band. And also, songs are in French and English, so we we get that thing we're talking about in multilingual translation. Um, and also just very gender fluid. Um, I don't know the proper like way to refer to Christine and the Queens as a group, solo artist, whatever. So that just speaks to the gender fluidity and all the um, that sort of aspect we were talking about before. And finally, I would say someone like Billie Eilish, ah. who is very young, sort of came up on the internet, has a very unique persona. I like her music. It's very sad and <laughs> sad dark. Sad, sad, yeah, it's sad girl music. Um, it's, she's not like my favorite artist, but I think that she's definitely occupying a unique niche. Awesome. To conclude. To conclude. I believe we are both very excited to see where pop goes. Yeah. And I think to summarize, we talked about pop music as at the future of pop as being defined by who is singing the music, what they're singing about, and how that music sounds. Mm-hmm. I think those are the three things we have to keep in mind when we, when we think about the future pop. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for listening. <laughs> we will come at you next week with another episode. Um, I can't remember what we want to talk about next, next episode. I think we're going to talk about separating the artist from their art. Oh! Which is a... Which is a good one. That is a good one. It's a good one, so stay tuned. Yes. Special thanks to our friend Maya for our cover art. Uh, you can find her at her website, mayagreco.ca, spelled M-A-I-A-G-R-E-C-C-O dot C-A. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. You can find us on iTunes. And stay tuned for next week's episode.